Hey, welcome to Trauma Rama Ding Dong. This is Remy Ramirez. This is Jonathan Griffin. And today we are talking about longing and we have Dove, who is Jonathan's twin, a musician and poet and writer who's twin. here with us. What up, Dove? Hi. Hey. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I, I long. I longed for this moment. Did you, did you long to talk to us? <laughs> yes, I longed. You may very well be our biggest fan because you always repost our stuff and you're so kind. So I have longed to have this moment with you as well. Rama, Rama, ding, dongalong. Dongal, Ruma, dongal, Rama, that, that made me like subtly horny. <laughs> the way what about the, the, you know, the, the Grease song where they're like doing the hand jives? Bang bang, jingin it up, whatever that one. Yeah, yeah. My God, as one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, but confession: when I was growing up, I actually liked Grease Two better than Grease One, which is so embarrassing. Now I would keep that. I would keep that private. I I don't even know if I've ever seen Grease Two. Okay, but in my defense, fucking Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, yeah. yeah. You know the Fife. What do you right. do? Le Fife. But also, Olivia Newton-John was a fucking snack. Oh, my and God. Gay, gay John Travolta. So Dove, actually, while they've been here in San Francisco visiting me, illuminated. I did not know that John Travolta was gay. Oh, my God. So gay. Are we sure? Oh, my God. So gay. Everyone in the Dove, industry knows. Yeah. Dove, yeah. What? Yeah. And I've also met gay men with John Travolta's stories. Oh. Totally. Do you want to tell us one of them? Please. It's happened before. I honestly can't really think of the person. It was definitely somebody from New Orleans, somebody who travels the circuits, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, shit. The circuit party queen. Yeah. And she, like, had... Remy, do you know what a circuit party is? No, I feel dumb. What does that mean? Don't feel dumb. It's kind of esoteric queer knowledge, but it's like sex parties. Oh, got it. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm on So, like, every, everyone does poppers and, like, fucks each other to, like, EDM. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking nightmare to me. Right. Oh, <laughs> and it's kind of also like a community, like how, like, there's burners, like, all over. There's always, like, burning functions where, like, burners are. It's, like, the same kind of, like... It's, like, Burning Man for gays. But it's not burning man. It's like burning inside, man. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. But they're using it. They're they're using glow paint in more nefarious ways. (laughs) Well, actually, I heard a story about John Travolta where off label he like propositioned his hot male masseuse. Hot. And the dude was straight and was like, "What? No, no, no." And and then like it was very embarrassing and he like told everyone and it was a big deal. I love and then that. there was like a big cover up. Yeah, we love this. <laughs> also I got um Jeff Goldberg is Goldblum? that his name? Goldblum tried to have sex with me at well he propositioned me at the Whole Foods on Santa Monica Boulevard in West yes. Hollywood. Why I didn't you it. do it? Yeah. Because I, first of all, I was like, where do we go? And then second of all, I was like, is this person even gay? I was just confused and also very, um, you know, when you're, I was like 19 and I was just very unsure of how the world worked. I kind of missed that, right? Like this yeah. idea of like, 
it's not as much like belief in possibility as it's more like you're just like how does this happen this has never happened to me before I don't know I just didn't know like the mechanics of it yeah there's something very innocent about saying no to sex with a famous person you know yeah like what no what I just I just could never imagine a reality in which I would deny myself I would just let it all happen for sure. So it wasn't but it's like okay. denial. It wasn't denial. It was just like I was scared because he was like hot and big and tall. And like I'm sure he has a huge dicko. I'm sure he does. He um, we, he's a big fucking flirt too. Mm-hmm. And we were at the salad bar at Whole Foods, which is a COVID nightmare, but was this pre-COVID though? Yes. Oh, girl, I was like. Also, 19. why were you yeah, in right. West? Ho- why were you in West Hollywood? Because when salad? I was young and I was like trying to break <laughs> into celebrity, I would just like drive my gay ass down in my hoopty to like West Hollywood Park, <laughs> and then like walk around in my like fake knockoff True Religions that I stole from you and some of your Mac bronzer. <laughs> And then and I it just worked, like, baby. That shit worked. Yeah, and I just walk around and be like, "Who, where? I see me." I was like, "Some producer is just gonna see me one day." But turns out Jeff Goldblum saw you. Yeah, and she liked what she saw. Yeah, Thank she you. Was into it, into it. Maybe Damn. that was your one shot to make it, and you shut it. the fuck up. <laughs> I'm this serious. Is, I mean, it's possible. This is Jonathan's big shot. What are you talking about? We're gonna become famous. I mean, maybe that was something. like. Maybe that was like the first quarter of yeah, perhaps of your yeah. life shot. That was the first quarter moon. I'm just thankful I don't have Jonathan, like a blonde side bang anymore. Thank God. You do not. You know, I could get have it again. Bang. It could come back, but I had like yeah, I had like one of those like seen like choppy layered in the back and then long swoop blonde. Cute. That's cute. Yeah, bitch. And I had like <laughs> bronze. I was like bronze. Yeah, you did. Like, I, smoked, I still I can't smoked, figure out how to do bronzer. What? You smoked what? Like Marlboro Light 100s. <laughs> is that, that's like, is that gross? I mean, it was just very much a moment. Yeah, you were definitely in it. It was very much in like Starbucks. I would just be like, I want a Starbucks, which I still say most often. I say I'm not because I like Starbucks as much as I just like caffeine, but what, yeah. What do you get when you get iced coffee, girl? Okay. Very, it that's... keeps me regular and my mood totally. up. So I just roll. Yeah. A little a little I... pooper, a little a little upper yeah. and a little pooper. All the time. I like ask. Yeah, I think poop is very important and we should be stigmatized talking about it. I have, I'm always aspiring for the S shape and I like pop up and I look and if it's an S shape, I'm like, good job, self. (laughs) And then if it's not an S shape, I run to my medicine cabinet and I take fiber and I chug water and I pray. (laughs) The prayer is key. And I say, dear poop God. Make it fucking rain on me. Dear benevolent poop God, please rain on me. Yeah. Rain. Speaking of longing. It's raining here. Longing. Oh, boo. I'm sorry. It's like bright mm. and sunny. In I mean, it's, it's good. I guess we're in a drought again, which is on brand. Yeah, that's the most on brand for California. Tuxin. Speaking I mean, of longing, just so they need that rain so bad. Yeah, right. Um, Should we jump in? 
Yeah, there's actually, you just brought something up for me real quick. And yeah. there is um, a liberatory theology, which is basically like socialism injected into Catholic theology by a movement in Central and South America. And Ivan Gabara wrote an amazing piece that's considered a cornerstone to the movement. And it's called Longing, like Longing for Running Water. Oh, wow. And it's a fucking amazing. And if anyone's out there and they're interested in liberation theology or the liberation or the theology of the oppressed, that's a good place to start. God, it sounds like a beautiful name for a poem. Long yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's good. The whole thing is good, but it's very Tucson, LA, SoCal, Cali vibes. Cause it's like if you grow up without water, without water. you know what it's like to be like, oh my God, longing for it. I don't know. Yeah, like constantly feeling like you're in lack around it. Yeah. And you're like, where the fuck's the water, y'all? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember turning the sink off when I brush my teeth. Oh my God. Yes. All the, I mean, I I still do it, but like, yeah, growing up feeling like, fuck, there's no water. Also like longing for snow. I feel like when you're a kid in like a hot climate, you're like, where the fuck's the snow? I was promised snow as a child. Longing. Definitely don't relate to that because I hate to be cold, but I, I, oh, right. I knew that connecting with you and your struggle. Thanks. I appreciate that. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so to kick off the longing combo, I actually was like, I talk about longing and think about longing all the time, but I was like, what is the actual definition of longing? What is it? It is a strong desire, especially for something unattainable. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Cause it's not just mm. wanting something. It's wanting something that you can't have for whatever reason. Interesting. I mean, that, that's interesting. I guess that's probably like the conventional descriptor for it. Oh, but, do you have a different one? Yeah, but I can talk about mine post you. But I think that there's, I think there's, especially in social science, um, there's other- Other definitions. Yeah, well, I just don't think that it has to have that qualifying piece that it's something unattainable. Mm, interesting. Okay, well, I'm excited to hear what you're, what you dug up. Yes, ma'am. So, um, I so I'll start with my trauma light. I have experienced intense longing since I was a little girl, and one of the earliest objects of my longing was Michael Jackson. Oh my god! I mean, I was born in '80. Okay, so MJ. Yeah, and this was serious, like. This wasn't just like I had a poster on my wall. I knew all the lyrics to the entire Thriller album by the time I was four. And I remember driving around Austin with my mom, listening to human nature. And it Mm. just roused this like melancholy that was so palpable for me. Even then, like even as a four-year-old, it felt like he'd accessed something in me that was part of my like soul essence, right? Like- His music, yes, his music was like, it was fun. It was sexy. It was sad. It was lonely. It was jubilant. Like to my four-year-old self, his music was all of those things. And I had this sense that I was being soul seen at a really young age. I mean, of course I didn't know that that's what was happening, but when I soul seen, is that a term? I just, I made it up. Oh my God. Great term. Soul seen. I love that. So <clears throat> feel free to use that. You can use it all the time. Let's make it famous. Yeah. It's a thing. Copyright, trauma, rama, ding dong, soul yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah. Pay us money. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So because I'm a triple Scorpio, 
soon I was having fantasies about Michael Jackson and some of them were sexual and I was really Ooh, little, but like I, mom had given four? me a book. Yeah. But mom had given me a book. Like I knew I didn't really, I didn't know like the anatomy. I didn't like know the details, right. but I knew that like when mommy and daddy love each other very much, you know? Right. 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 Um, they bump uglies. Yes. They get in bed. So they, in my little book, they took a bath first and then they got God. in bed. Yeah. Probably more sanitary than actually what was happening. But. <laughs> right. So true. Um, yeah. So, so I had these like sexual fantasies. Of course, I didn't imagine myself as a four-year-old in my fantasies. I imagined myself as like a human version of Barbie because it was the Ooh, 80s. Right. You know, and crimped I thought, hair, crimped yeah, hair, right. a and star. I- a star right. dangling from one ear. For, yeah, like Jem. Right. Right. So, but the other fantasies were about him being my dad and taking care mm. of me and taking me shopping and kind of treating me like his princess, which was tapping into this deep longing that I had, of course, at that time, which was to have a dad who cherished me. Mm. So I'd invested all of this intense longing into this icon. And I felt this deep loyalty to him. And then fast forward a couple years, I'm in the first grade. So probably like six or seven to MJ. Yeah. Yes. MJ is still like my number one fucking man. And I'm at school and these boys were making fun of Michael Jackson at lunch and (gasps) saying, yes, thank you for the gasp because that is, (gasps) that was exactly what happened to me. And he's, they're like saying all these mean things about him. And I got so mad and I yelled at them and told them they were stupid or whatever, but it rattled me so badly that I came home crying and I got a knife <gasps> from the Remy. Yes. Oh my God. This is a true fucking story. And I brought it into the living room and I hid it under a pillow. And then I sat on top of the pillow and wow. in, in my head, even though like I really had no intention of doing it, I was telling myself that I was going to kill myself because Oh my God. I, I, it was like, I had so much emotional intensity wrapped up in him that I didn't want to live in a world where people weren't kind to this person who I saw as being such a tremendous source of comfort in my life. Like, I just felt like it was like one of those, like the world is too cruel and I can't be here feelings. Hmm. I was just sitting there crying on a pillow in the living room. And eventually my mom comes in and is like with a knife under it. So yeah. crying on a pillow with a knife. Okay. Yeah. Like a little goose laying an egg, but it was like a fucking a knife trauma, trauma yeah. egg. Okay. And yeah. my, knife goose. Yeah. And my mom was like, you know, what are you crying about? And I told her and not, not in a mean way. She was just like, what are you crying about? And I told her and I was like, you know, I, I explained her and I told her that I had a knife and I was like really upset and I was crying and she was, she was actually really great, which is amazing in retrospect that she didn't freak out, you know? Yeah. Seriously. I'm like already taking seven year old you to like some therapy. trauma. Yeah. I'm like, this girl is a knife. I, I definitely should have gone to therapy, but my mom just explained to me that she had a huge crush on John Lennon when she was young and she wrote his name over and over again on the inside uh, of her glasses case. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I still remember, and it calmed, it soothed me so much. It made me feel so much better and just like seen and understood. And then we put the knife away and it was fine. Yeah. I'm soothed. Yeah. Right. So that's the story of my childhood longing for Michael Jackson. But what's so interesting to me when I think about that now is that I realize how embedded longing is in me. Like it goes back so far. And, and I think about like how second nature it feels to me. Like, I can't remember 
being three years old and not experiencing longing, which means that since I've had memory, I've Mm. had longing, Mm. which is powerful when I think about it in terms of um, unmet desires, right? Because that's Mm. like a long time to not feel satiated. Mm. But I started thinking about this topic because last week when we did the betrayal episode, I talked about how I was talking to my therapist about a betrayal I'd experienced with my mom. And I said that afterwards, I noticed this full body desire to hook up with someone. Right. And later when I thought about it, I was like, oh, yeah, the desire was was only peripherally sexual. Like, really, what I was experiencing was longing, like Mm -hmm. talking to my therapist about this betrayal that I experienced with my mom left me feeling alone and abandoned and disposable. And all of that spurred this longing uh, for these things I've never fully experienced, right? Like to be cared for, to be valued, to be seen and chosen and safe. And I think I transfer a lot of that longing onto my longing for a partner. Hmm. So what I'm realizing is that this desire that I have to be in a relationship is sort of inseparable from these unmet needs from my childhood and adolescence. Mm -hmm. And the longing to partner is enmeshed with this longing I experienced early on to feel seen and cherished, right? So the, the subconscious idea being that my longing will finally come to an end because this person will satisfy all those needs and everything will be fine, which like even mm. as I say, it sounds both totally possible and totally naive. Right. And also codependent as fuck. Right. Yeah. I'm like, right. You're going to fix everything for me. Right. But, but then at the same time, like, I think we do learn about um, secure attachment through um, potentially relationships or partnerships or whatever. So it's like. Sure. But also that like you in spite of no matter no matter what relationship you have externally like the the relationship in which you will find peace and security is the internal relationship right right Right. so that's actually kind of what i'm going to talk about oh so okay so that's kind of what's been on my mind lately in terms of longing but as far Mm -hmm. As stories go, I'm going to work a little bit in reverse this time by talking about therapy stuff first and kind of help set the stage. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with the Enneagram, which was something that my last therapist used when she was treating me, which was really cool because no one, I didn't even know that it was used in therapy. Mm -hmm. So if for any of you out there who are unfamiliar, the Enneagram is sort of, sort of like astrology meets Myers-Briggs. And I only say astrology because it has like a wheel, like in the same way that astrology has there's a wheel there's some numbers it's round yeah yeah everyone has a number you take a quiz to find out what number you are and there are all kinds of like psychological traits associated with with each number Mm. so i'm a four in the enneagram Uh, yeah okay (laughs) and to give you guys an idea of what that personality is like some famous fours include (laughs) this i don't know this makes me laugh Edgar Allan Poe. Oh my God. Sylvia Plath, Kurt Cobain, Virginia Woolf, Vincent mm. Van Gogh. Like, <laughs> like these are like super intense, even like tortured people, right? Dove, are you a four two? To be completely honest, I've never really done the full Enneagram. 
Okay, well, just yeah. listening to that list, I feel like y'all fit in. Like we're Same. four little uh, all y'all four two f- fours in a pod. Mm-hmm. Same. So, what I learned in therapy is that fours are people who feel like they're constantly looking at the good life from the outside without an ability to access it, and it creates this deep loneliness right? Because it feels like the great love that you want so badly is the dangling carrot that you'll never be able to have. And Mm. that's because fours feel things so intensely and not very many people can relate to that. And that feels super isolating. Mm. Also four is the Enneagram number with the least amount of people in it. So none of the other numbers really get what it's like. And and there are so few fours in the world that the chances of you like coming into contact with a bunch of them are just pretty slim. So in terms of longing, being a four is like er day burning and yearning baby, just like all up in that longing. Would you say your loneliness is killing you? Would you confess (laughs) anything? And and I still believe. Do you still believe? (laughs) God damn it. And also, can we talk about how I like the longing that I experienced when I for, when Britney came out and I was like, why Still. am I not famous like Britney? Like, why am I? 16, oh, my God. But not the first famous? time I saw that music video and she was just like trompsing around that fucking middle school hallway in that yeah. little like that little outfit. Oh, my God. Those pigtails. I had never seen anything like that in my life. And I was like, dear God, <laughs> I, was I like, give you all. I was, I was like, so shook. I was just like, why am I not? I literally was, I I was like, I have so much time to get famous. It's fine. And then fucking Brittany showed up and she was like two years younger than me. And I was like, girl, (laughs) you can still be famous. Maybe not Brittany famous, but it's possible. Also poor Brittany. God, God. Yeah. Free, free Brittany. Hashtag free Brittany for all the listeners. Yeah. So I wonder what her Enneagram is. Probably a four. Oh my God, what if Britney's a four? We could find out. I'm sure it's Googleable. It's just like Britney and Kurt Cobain. And Dove and you. And, and now I'm, and then I'm like stuck with y'all just being like, my loneliness. Wait, what's your, me. what's your Enneagram number? I've had conflicting Enneagrams. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. I feel seen, but I don't have one that I ascribe to. So I'll just okay. say that okay. I have. But I love the Enneagram and I think it's really useful. Yeah, it actually was really helpful for me, helpful for me in therapy. But the other therapy related thing that's been super helpful for me in understanding longing in my life is IFS. Mm. So I've talked about it on here before, but to review, IFS essentially breaks down a person's psyche into individual parts. And one of those parts is what they call exiles. Exiles. And those are part of your parts of your psyche that you feel so ashamed of that you won't even allow yourself to become conscious of them. You essentially exile them. Mm. So then you have managers and firefighters whose whole job it is to try to keep you from looking at the exiles because looking at the exiles is too painful. So managers do that by making sure you do everything perfectly. You work 15 hours a day. You're never wrong, et cetera. Firefighters do it with compulsive behavior. So they make you drink too much, do drugs, overeat, sleep with whoever, whenever, etc. Wait, that sounds like me, like fun. I'm just kidding. Well, firefighters are definitely more fucking fun than managers. I'm like, let's go hoe and do some coke. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Oh, wait, speaking of, okay. So when my therapist was walking me through this one day, she laid this out to me. She was like, when you're little 
and your parent doesn't treat you with love, whether that's neglect, mental, physical abuse, abandonment, whatever it is, children always think it's their fault. Mm -hmm. And they make up a story that often sounds something like there's something really wrong with me. Right. And that's why mom or dad or both doesn't want me. And that belief there's something really wrong with me becomes an exile. Mm. But so here's the thing. The managers and firefighters really don't want the exile to be seen, but the exile really wants to be seen. So what happens is this synergistic dynamic where they're like feeding into each other, where the exiled belief is controlling you on the one end, telling you that you're not good enough for love. And the firefighter will be like, you have to hook up right now or get in a relationship right now with whoever, just take whoever you can get because you're not good enough anyway. Mm. And, And that cycle will repeat until you break ties with the firefighter and, or the manager and look at the exile. Because the exile is basically you as a child and all those unmet needs that you had as a child and children need to be attended to. So like if you've ever been around a kid, they don't just stop telling you that they're hungry. They will tell you 50 times until you feed them. And that's how they are with emotions too. Right. If you didn't get emotionally nurtured as a child, that child is still in there crying out to have those needs met. So either you indulge the firefighters and the managers and let them lead you into unfulfilling relationships again and again, and thereby ignore the fuck out of your exile, or you have to reparent yourself as an adult and tend to those exiled inner child needs yourself. Mm -hmm. So this was such powerful information for me when I learned it because this, oh my God, sorry, you guys frog all up in it. It's okay. This firefighter cycle explains why so many women, and I'm speaking from the space of like cishet woman. So many women return to emotionally unavailable men over and over and perpetuate that massive sense of longing in their own lives. Mm. And I want to pause here to say this too. I think there's an, I think there is an overarching cultural plague between straight men and women where women want emotional connection and men as a result of this bullshit patriarchy that has denigrated the feminine for fucking 2000 years now, either feel ashamed of their desire for connection or they feel critical of emotions in general and can't or won't connect emotionally. And that perpetuates this like culture wide longing and loneliness in women and potentially men. I, I can't speak from that perspective in a way that I think is like practically epidemic, you know? Right. But anyway, all of this information, Enneagram, IFS, patriarchy has helped me understand more about the, the one time in my life that I fell in love because the guy I fell in love with was gay. What? Yes. I know. We haven't talked about this. Duh. I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. So talk about fucking unavailable, but on top of that, he himself was also emotionally unavailable. So it was like an unavailability, double whammy of doom. Wow. He wasn't out yet when I started. Oh my God, you guys, I really wish I knew what was in there. And I wish it, I long for it to just like come out. Do you need a moment? No, it's just like, this happens to me when I'm sleepy. Oh, I know. And I, and I'm sleepy because I stayed up for two hours last night, listening to the Kristen smart podcast, your own oh. backyard. 
Oh. Have you heard? Have you? Are you guys into true crime? Have you heard about? Christmas I mean, Mars? I know who she is, and I know what happened, but okay. I don't know she had a podcast. Well, yeah. This this sidebar. This fucking guy is just a musician who is like from the area and was always sort of um haunted by this case and he just was like i'm gonna make a podcast and he fucking is like the most incredible investigative journal journalist even though he had never done it before whoa cool and and because of this podcast like all of this new evidence came into play and that's why recently that fucker paul flores and his fucker dad ruben flores got arrested whoa anyway i i was in the jacuzzi so late just like me and my phone listening to this podcast and being i want a jacuzzi please come get in this jacuzzi with me i'm just alone in tucson in the jacuzzi scaring the and then like the fence that's right next to the jacuzzi started to like rattle (laughs) and i'm telling you i had to take like a mintran which is this like chinese herb a mintran girl i had to take a mintran to calm down because i was so freaked out okay so anyway Trigger warning, Mintran. Mintran. That, so anyway, okay, so that's why I'm tired and that's why my voice is weird. Okay. I think you sound great, but okay. Thank you. I love you. Mm. So, right. So he wasn't out yet when I, when we were getting close and when I was, I was starting to fall in love with him, but he came <sighs> out to me because he wasn't out to anybody, but he came out to me because he fucking painted me a picture of a man and a woman fucking and oh. it was super beautiful. It had like rainbow colors all over it and shit. And it was just like really wow. beautiful. And I was like, hi, we're obviously in love. So what are we doing? And he was like, I have to tell you something. I and want I, a big dick in yeah, my butt. That is wait. <laughs> yeah. Was it where is this painting now? It's okay. I didn't, I was about to just say these words. And then as I said them, I was like, wow, fuck. They are, this, it, it is, it is in my closet. <laughs> oh, oh shit. It should be framed. Above it it bed, is framed. But, okay. It, okay. I framed it and I did, ha- but we have not been close for many years now. Okay. Never mind. So yeah, it's, I can't, I don't know what to do with it, but yeah, it's in my closet. Um, anyway, um, so he came out to me and he was like, I think his exact words were, I'm not as straight as everyone thinks. Oh. And mm-hmm. when he told me that, I thought that would mean that my feelings would go away. Right? Like, I just thought, yeah, I, right, like, right, it, it right. doesn't make sense to be in, right. in love with someone who's gay. But instead, they just got stronger. And part of that was because, like, I was the only person who knew. <clears throat> and so he would come to me and right. tell me everything. And that, and like, all of that sort of, um, confidant role-ness right right bonded us and so that longing and heartbreak were in overdrive right so when I look back on that situation this guy was really wonderful in a lot of ways but also was showing a ton of red flags you know he like wasn't a good communicator he was pretty emotionally stunted he was intimacy averse and obviously like he didn't like pussy you know so like just not available across the board for me good I mean, good meaning like saved you a few, you know? Right. Yeah, a few. And I remember that he would call me to confide in me about these guys that he was sleeping with. And I would just get off the phone and sob. And even though that relationship was obviously very unique in my life, like that hasn't happened to me outside of that single time. 
the dy- the dynamics of it were definitely not unfamiliar, right? Like I smolder for you, you don't want right. me. But right. now when I look back at it through the lens of these tools that I mm-hmm. have gained through, you know, years of therapy, I have a lot of compassion for myself because I was operating with this exiled belief that there was something really wrong with me that right. made me undesirable as a partner. And the thing that I believed made me bad and undesirable was how intense and full my emotions were, which now I know is just part of being an Enneagram four. Hmm. And I was operating with someone who not only was like, um, not only was not fully comfortable with his sexuality yet, but who was still being informed and living through the filter of the patriarchy where he felt really embarrassed about his sexuality. And also on top of it, like he, and I think this is something I have heard through the grapevine recently that he still struggles with is he only is interested in straight men and he wants, he only wants to come across as straight, which is another patriarchy, you know, bullshit thing. Mm. So there's, there was just a lot going on. And when I, when I am able to incorporate all of what I've learned and like looking at that exile that I have and nurturing that inner child and being like, there's nothing wrong with having big emotions. And yeah, a lot of people don't get it and that's fine, but I'm going to be an advocate for those feelings and those emotions and how big they are. I'm going to start a podcast about trauma with my mm. friend, like right. I'm going to talk about this shit. I'm not going to hide Wait, it. How do we listen to that podcast? <laughs> Go to <laughs> and plug the pod, please. Acre.fm forward slash trauma ding dong. Um, trauma yeah. ding dong longing longing.com. Um, yeah. So doing, having, having a responsibility to myself and to others around those big emotions, like all of that is really healing for me. And when I think back on this, you know, situation with this dude, I'm like, yeah, that was really hard. And it was probably really hard for him too. I'm sure. And, um, Mm. I mean, probably still is, especially if he's like a closet case with like unrequited desire for straight men. That doesn't sound satisfying. No. Yeah. We were just two little longing, um, peas in a pod. In a both podcast. after the same dick, right? <laughs> Probably we, both really into straight guys. Turns out straight dick. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So that's me. That's my longing bit. What about you? Niblet. That's my gimlet. My longing oh, gimlet. Oh my god, I, I love a good gimlet. Um, <laughs> to, um. Yeah. So I mean, longing and loneliness, I think, are empirically universal human things right right and the thing about longing and this is something that i kind of differ from you it's not necessarily that the thing that you long for is unattainable Mm -hmm. as much as that it lingers Mm, like longing doesn't go away yeah like you can long for something that you you already have or something that you've experienced but is that it's this like permeating lingering longing can we talk about how how maddening i was just gonna say it's so maddening to long for something you already have right exactly but also i mean i think that's the difference between desire and longing right Mm -hmm. is this like depth like you wouldn't say like 
I have a lingering deep desire. I mean, you could, but like longing is kind of the differentiation there, mm. I would say. Um, and like most things, like normalizing the discourse around longing and loneliness, just being universal, like, you know, always trying to refocus like how we experience these emotions and like knowing that like it's a universal thing and others feel the same way, right? And that you're not the first or not going to be the last to long for something. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think that just like frees up a lot of the um, self guilt, right? And doubt that go into feeling bad for longing in the first place. Mm, I like feeling ashamed of it. Yeah. Like, why am I longing for this thing that I can't have or this thing that I already have or this thing that I wish were different, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, that was just a part for me that came up when I was kind of thinking about this and like reframing longing as like a part, because I feel like one of the things with longing, it's like you try to run from it like you're like, oh, I'll never make this thing into the thing that I want it to be. And like, that's part of the like um, elusive lingering piece of longing is that it's something that you perceive to be unattainable, but like reframing it as like this beautiful part of you that like is a searcher, right? Mm -hmm. A searching decadent, rich, vast part of you, like something in you that like, seeks and looks and searches rather than just subsists mm. um so for me that's really healing and like also gives me a lot of compassionate or compassion for that person in me who also longs right um so that's something i've i thought about because like looking back in like my journeys around longing um there was always part of me that felt bad for myself for experiencing mm -hmm. that depth right mm -hmm. um so yeah that was that's just something that came up for me there is a um psychologist mary c lamia um phd she wrote a book um called In intense emotions and strong feelings um and similar to what you were talking about um she brought about some ideas around um, how people neglect to attend to their deeper needs and their choice of a partner where it's easier to meet other people's needs um, instead of their own, right? Um, and as a result, like some may eventually hunger for a relationship that has more passion or vibrancy. Um, so I look at these people who have these like 50-year sexless marriages or whatever, and I'm just like, how much longing goes down in that relationship for real yeah um but also like people in like passionate or vibrant relationships can also experience longing when there's like a failure um to achieve like satisfying levels of intimacy um particularly when there's a loss of emotional safety in a relationship um and these can include feelings of shame distress or the perception of disapproval or distrust in a partner um, and so like, that's the trouble. Like when shame is activated in a situation like that, it's not felt as the emotion of shame as you know it. Instead, it's felt as a disengagement and is experienced as like a letdown, a disappointment or a frustration. Oh. So that's also a type of longing. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, and no matter what flavor of longing, it creates vulnerability, right? Mm, yeah. Um, longing and the vulnerability 
it can be more painful than the grief that you might experience. Like if you have to relinquish a goal or giving up, right. It's like more intense than that. People without the love that they need are sometimes compelled to bury their longing in any of the typical ways that can serve to disavow what they feel like indulgence in alcohol or substance, pursuing sex, sexual relationships, um, overconsumption of food or over restriction of food mm. um, and all that kind of, you know, all those behaviors. Longing is painful, but like the, the vulnerability that exists beneath that longing is more is like the true thing that you're running from, mm. um, according to um, the psychologist Mary C. Lamia. Well, I think it makes sense in relationship to what you were saying earlier about shame. It's like the vulnerability. And again, I think this is about being, you know, living in a patriarchy. Vulnerability is shameful. And so we right. feel really ashamed yeah. when we're vulnerable. Or wanting something that you don't have, right? Because like right. that's this whole American kind of ideal is like you have all you need. Just right. pull yourself up. Buy your bootstraps. Um, right, exactly. Um and then some other psychological theorists have speculated that traumatic disappointment early on, so in early childhood, creates a later dependency on others in what seems to be an intense form of object hunger, is what they call it. Hmm. Um, and such needs are generally based on feelings, attitudes, fantasies, adaptations, defenses, and which are generally just repetitions of reactions originating with significant person in one's past. So it sounds like- What does that mean? So people with attachment trauma, so people who didn't get their needs met as children by their parents or caregivers. What is that, that they, like? That's weird. Uh-huh. Right. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> like what? Um, uh-huh. But um, yeah, so this creates a part of us, which is called object hunger. And so- yeah, so we we come up with these attitudes, fantasies, adaptations, defenses that are a repetition of this reaction that originates from that original trauma. Mm. So childhood trauma or attachment um, that was lost or unrequited can reappear reappear in like your present as a potential love object who is sexually fantasized or idealized. Mm, totally, um, which sounds familiar. Yep. I'm not, I'm not therapizing you, Rem, but. Oh my God, but um, like I am. <laughs> it brings up emotions of shame, anger, distress yeah. that are activated in either your current relationship or this like longing relationship that's reminiscent of the old experience of abandonment. Yeah. And totally. that result is just longing, right? Right. Um, yeah. So I think all of that sounds fairly. Another piece is like a partner who is painfully disappointing mm. Um emotional memories are triggered that represent a loss of love also like mm. occurring from childhood, which is why you look at people, you're like, why are you in this fucking shitty relationship? You know? And it's yeah. like, what is that um, purpose of being a wallflower when he's like, we accept the love that we think we deserve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've said that before here, but it's totally true. It's like people like, why are you in the shitty relationship? Oh, it's because that's how you learn to see yourself as lovable. Right. Um, yeah. Anyhow, so like one of these pieces around healing from that is like you have to be able to separate from the needs of a partner. Right. Mm -hmm. And like love can hurt. And it can also heal when partners trust each other and themselves enough to take a look at what lies beneath. 
um, that conflict and that leads to experience of longing and vulnerability. So saying that like being vulnerable and longing can actually be tools, right? To like vulnerabilize yourself to a partner. Yes. Big time. And that's like, that's my fucking fantasy. Like, and your fantasy is totally fucking possible. I believe. Thank you. Um, yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of things that people desire to have in life, right? Like a fulfilling job, loving relationship, beautiful things, um, Botox, all these things. Um, (laughs) And these desires are generally useful, right? Because they push us to like things in life that are pleasant or good. Um, The downside is that it's not always possible for someone to get everything that you fucking want. And so what does this Mm. leave you? It leaves you longing. Right. And like people can feel longing for things that they desire and they can't have. Um, But also, I mean, like longing can also be a beautiful thing too, right? Like longing for peace in wartime or like, I don't know, longing for the past also, AKA nostalgia. Like I don't think nostalgia is necessarily a negative emotion. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know. I really liked the 60s and 70s. I thought they were cool. Yeah, um, I love but the it's 80s. It's not that I like, yeah, the 80s are chill as fuck. Yeah. Actually, the 80s are not chill. They as were fuck. like not chill. They're like the opposite of <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but so like, yeah, I think that um, there's again another way to reframe longing and loneliness. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah. Yeah. And like loneliness and longing are both painful for something that like you're, currently don't have and these emotions loneliness longing they can go hand in hand Um, if someone experiences loneliness um because you like say you miss a specific person you're lonely and longing for the compassion and companionship of a person Mm. um but like longing does not have to be all about social interaction um yeah so like it doesn't always have to be about people or have to have to be about love um yeah but it's usually focused on a single desirable thing Mm. right it's not like a broad longing sense it's like when you're longing and like the depth of you is like a fixation on something you know exactly what the fuck you're longing after Right. right yeah totally um something else that came up for me when I was thinking about this or like there's a host of negative emotions that I uh, associate with longing but one of the bitchiest ones are envy oh yeah yeah because like longing and envy are fucking friends and they're both about desiring something that you don't have right right but like the difference is that someone experiencing longing focuses on the desired object while why envy is mostly unhappy because you are worse off than someone else. So it's right. this like comparative thing where you're like, this bitch. They have it. Fuck yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um yeah. So I mean like longing, there does not have to be another person. Um whereas in with envy, you there know, does. there has yeah, exactly. And you have to be like comparing all along the way. Um, another thing that came up for me was desperation Mm, love it (laughs) yeah (laughs) love that we love desperation we love it 
Uh, no, but like both longing and desperation involve this like strong desire for an object or a situation. I guess the reason that I'm bringing these up is because to just distinguish between the two, mm-hmm. because longing is a specific thing, right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Anyhow, it can get bundled in, but it's not, it's, it stands wholly apart, separate. Um, yeah. But I think the difference between desperation and longing is not, it's not just desired, but seen. It's like desperation is like the thing that you desire is like crucial for your well-being mm-hmm. or like crucial for your existence, you and know? I, and, oh my God. And I think also, I think that that's like part of when we talk about codependency and mm. longing, I think that, um, yeah, that I think desperation is a huge part of that. Right. But also that desperation is like a very fucking active behavior. Like if you're desperate for something, if you're like an addict or if you're like, you know, trying to get your ex back or something, you're like actively doing something about that. Whereas like longing is more often associated with passive activity, like fantasizing or like double clicking the mouse or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, um, I, another piece, another two other things, few other things that came up for me when I was thinking about longing was fucking ABBA. Mm, Yes. Because when I was a young gay and I heard, gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight. Oh my God. The longing and closeted queer religious youth that I was. Yeah. Heard those lyrics like, there's not a soul out there. No one to hear my prayer. Yeah, gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight. Won't somebody help me chase the shadows away? And I was like, where's my fucking, who's gonna give me a man after midnight? Who's gonna give me, give me, give me? Yeah, but help me chase the shadows away Mm. and then take me through the darkness to the break of the day. God, wait, and I also want to say something about ABBA and like my singing voice, and also how beautiful your fucking singing voice is, and how you're the next Britney Spears. Thanks. Also, disco, like disco, also has this um, rep for being vapid, right? But like, actually, a lot of deep ass shit. Yes, like same with um, the Bee Gees. Like, staying alive is actually a really fucking painful song. Yes, dark. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, so, but I, and I think it's similar to what I was saying about Michael Jackson, where it's like, there's, there's joy and there's celebration and there's also pain. And it's like, melding those two is so powerful for those of us who are like, part want to be part of all of it, you know? Right. I mean, then that's what alchemy is, right? Is it's like taking these other, otherwise uh disconnected elements and turning them into something new and yeah. beautiful and like melting them down and making them into a spell or whatever yeah yup 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 another song that i'm like obsessed with that is like so for me about longing yes what? bruce fucking springsteen oh my god please tell me i am on fire oh born in the usa oh my god um I'm hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go away and leave, and you, leave all you all alone? alone? Oh I got God. a bad desire. Ooh. Oh, ooh, ooh. Ooh, I'm on fire. Yeah. Oh Tell me now, baby, is he good to good you? To and he can he do all the things that I do? Oh, no, I can take you higher. 
Oh my God. That song. And then when he says, um, sometimes it's like someone took a knife, baby, ed- yeah. edgy and dull and cut a six inch you know through all the middle this. of my skull. You know and this. I wake up with my sheets soaking wet and a freight train running through the middle of my head. Only you. You. Can cool can my, cool my design. Oh my god, I feel it. I feel it yes. so hard. That song oh. has made me cry many. Yeah, he yeah. is a Libra Scorpio fucking combo man, and I I exactly. long to know what. Also, like, fucking like, did you know that is a queer icon as well? Bruce Springsteen is a queer icon. Is it because of his butt? I don't know, but like, like particularly among lesbians and femmes. Oh, it's just because like he's like a fucking rebel and he's like yeah. out there and he's like doing it i actually sang um bruce springsteen i sang that song once at um a fucking karaoke bar in manhattan dove what's it called deb's grocer or whatever you performed there once oh, yeah. um Oh my, Arlene's Grocery. Arlene's fucking grocery. Oh my god, Arlene. Oh my god, I love it. Thank you so much for bringing up Bruce Springsteen because... You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, I you're, feel like he, um, he evokes such intense longing in me, for sure. Yeah. And like, but that song is just so good. And it just like in- articulates this idea of like being on fire. Mm. And, and also... Like, because it's such a cheesy thing like oh my heart is on fire for you but if you have experienced longing you know exactly what the fuck he's talking about yeah and also what i love about the way that he presents it it's like bruce springsteen had this like really masculine sort of facade right but he Mm. wasn't um he wasn't an asshole Right. And he and he really like fully embraced vulnerability in his lyrics. And he's the one who's engaging this vulnerable side of him and admitting which is such not uh, when we talk about the trope of like capitalist male patriarch or whatever. Vulnerability is not in that fucking equation. Right. Exactly. Neither is that ass. (laughs) God, he looks good in denim. My God, he does. They do. Um, and then, yeah, I think that like with longing, so like Dove and I, I guess, can have more of this in common, but like having grown up in like a small suburban religious town, mm-hmm. like, oh my fucking God, like the longing, just like knowing that like there was a place out there. Like when I was a young queer, I thought for a bit, I was the only queer in the entire world. Right. And then when I found out there were others and they were in LA, which was not that far away, I was like, <laughs> they're oh like, my God. They're like just oh, down the street, I, actually. Yeah, I was just like long, just mm. like, oh my God, boundless longing. And I love that. I think that like, if I had reframed that as a child to see this like as a beautiful thing inside of me this like instead of what the painful part of it was like I could have been like oh my god look at this vast imaginative beautiful seeking part of you Mm. um yeah and I think like cultivating and feeding this idea that like longing isn't necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. um but I do think that like capitalism and longing are unfortunately really good friends again sure because they'll just keep you buying yeah this shit fucking consumerism right it's like cultivating and feeding this longing like you're never good enough you're never young enough you're never thin enough you're never hot enough and also like like, 
Oh, do you, do you feel empty inside? You know, it'll fix that a new car, a new washer dryer, you know, a new, yeah, exactly. Whatever the fuck. Yeah. Or more debt, AKA more debt. Yeah, definitely get it. Can't afford. Right. But also like all of this sort of plays into this overarching patriarchal system of oppression, which keeps us actually from obtaining something of value, right? Which is like self-awareness, vulnerability, healthy relationships. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think that longing is both good and also part of the human experience if you choose to uh, you know, walk through it as opposed to avoid it. Mm. And yeah, I mean, that's what I, th- this is kind of what brought up all of this for me. Hey, Dove. Yeah. Hi, Dove. Hi. 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 Hello. Hi. I, I wanted to ask you, Dove, in particular, because you are non-binary, you go by they, them. And I'm so curious about like the particular way that you have experienced longing. Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, longing has definitely defined my uh, human experience. Mm. And I definitely, I mean, I guess that how it relates to gender for me and my experience is sort of, um, I longed to be a gender in which my naturally feminine attributes of my personality were not something that would be um, negative. Mm. So I longed for a reality where um, my sensitivity and my um, creativity and my my non-aggressive masculine personality traits would be like not looked down upon Mm. and seen as strength and seen as a positive thing and so I, I definitely longed to be something other than I was and I still do in some ways and um I definitely think that that has a lot to do with, um, yeah, <laughs> my my longing to be, to belong and to have somewhere to be. And it also played into, I did long to be a, a quote unquote cis woman because that was the only framework right. that was laid out for me as a child that I saw I wanted that for myself. Like I wanted to um, be able to be attracted to men and to be able to want to be pretty and to be able to want to do my nails or my makeup or like wear something that wasn't boys clothes. And the only way that I saw that that was possible in the nineties in the very um, sheltered reality that I was living then um, that was what I saw was just women were had the life that I wanted, mm-hmm. which is complicated further by the fact that like, there's parts of my maleness that like also felt true. Hence me not being male or female or identifying as either. Um, but yeah. And I guess 
I didn't even know that anything was possible aside from um, a traditional heterosexual cisgendered life, you know? Yeah. But I knew, I knew before I knew that there were quote unquote alternative lifestyles or whatever, before I knew that I like longed for an alternative reality, an alternative way of living. Cause I just knew the way that I had seen it set up as me being a man and doing X, Y, Z. I just knew that that wasn't going to cut it for me and that I wasn't going to be able to do that and feel fulfilled, you know? Mm. They also used to, when we were kids, they were aerial. Oh my God. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, And which, uh, yeah, I mean that, and like why they always did, played they were did, always why did the story of a trans somebody some someone who was born i mean it, it it's also just so apropos the whole um allegory for ariel yeah mm. just just like she's born she's a, literally she's a, a mer person she's a mer i mean it's like a fish out of water reversed whatever and right. um yeah i mean that spoke to me and like why clearly like I felt and also the, an affinity, an affin, an affinity. Oh shit. With the fin. <laughs> also fin Ursula. Red. Ursula is loosely Ursula is loosely based on divine, apparently. Oh, the character yes. of Ursula. Mm-hmm. I love that. Queer there's queer shit all up in all that Disney shit. And you're like, what the fuck? Why was I a queer child? And you're like, well, Disney. Hundred fucking thousand percent. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I'll Dev, take, yeah. how, how do you now, because you said you still experience that longing, how do you work with your longing? Right. I mean, also, I think uh, um, to, to, I mean, okay, so to quote Bruce Springsteen, you got to stay hungry. And baby, <laughs> I'm just about, baby, I'm just about starving tonight. Yes. Um, Damn. Dancing in yeah. the dark, Full circle. Baby. Full circle. <laughs> I mean, baby, I'm just about to So yeah, I think that, okay, so I think part of me was thinking as we were talking about this, that like perhaps longing is actually like an innate survival instinct because mm-hmm. like if we're just like comfortable. Bro, in that's that, what I always say. I always if break we're comfortable, down. If we're comfortable in that cave and we don't feel longing to get out of the cave and to go get food or whatever, like we die, right? So it's like sort of, we are just sort of longing machines. Like, I think that that's just like, we're wired to want, so we survive. Which is interesting too, because in Buddhism, we talk about how desire causes suffering Mm -hmm. and how longing is the root of our suffering. Yeah, and I mean, so true, so true. But which is similar to what you're saying, it seems, because should we, you know, excise this desirous part of ourselves, then we would not experience suffering. Sure. And I mean, I think also um, on the best of days, I can, um, in my best self, on my best day, I can um, harness that longing into a, a creative force. And I do think, I think that Dove, I mean, I think that the, the force of longing created Dove, created 
every song I've ever written and every thing that I've ever done has been the, the productive harnessing of longing, you know? And I mean, I think all of my songs are about lost love and conjuring these feelings of immense longing. And I think that that's like such a human thing. And I think that it, it reads out in my art a lot because it's something that we can all see in each other and it's yeah it's best yeah it's best put into something that's more manageable other than just like the raw feeling of it is like you can you can hear a song about it and it can touch on those really hard soft spaces in your heart and it can touch on them in a, a way that it feels um accessible like you can you can listen to that song and it can touch your heart and it can make you a little sad but it's like also contained within that song and then the song changes and then yeah Mm. so it's like transmuting it yeah and I long to do that to do that really well you know as Mm. an artist I long to encapsulate the longing and keep it keep it there so it's useful for people and yeah yeah I experienced that yeah go ahead yeah oh just real quick I just want to plug Dove your music where can people find because it is all very good and very longingly well yeah my um so I I actually (laughs) There is one song on Spotify and Apple Music because my producer took the other one down because that's a whole other. He was longing for something. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) there is under the name David Griffin, which is my dead name. um, But I'm not really rigid. I mean, I'm pretty rigid, but yeah, um, David Griffin. And that's on Spotify and iTunes. And then I've I've been recording a little bit throughout COVID and um. I do have a SoundCloud, which can be accessed under the name Dove Dove Griffin, D O V E Griffin. That's Dove my SoundCloud. I love your that music. On or you can follow me on Instagram, Dove dot four dot ever, and I post music and stuff on there. You're really cute on Insta. Thanks. Yeah, you're really Thanks. cute. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Um, and Dub, yeah, I, Instagram is, I mean, is Instagram not completely just about, longing, I mean, longing. longing. Central, yeah. Right. I mean, it's literally just aspirational post after aspiration. I need to it's just all meant post a video of me farting. So to just like God. counteract Wait, no, all, Remy, all that. Wait, no, Remy, no, we have to make money off that, girl. Girl, okay. <laughs> this, okay, this is all... Okay, next, next what? question. No, I'm just we're kidding. not allowed to talk about farting on Instagram. I'm like, that's <laughs> you got a little I too long. excited in a way that made me feel uncomfortable. So <laughs> it's just because we're like <laughs> highly aware that there are weird fetishes that people will will pay for, and we want to get paid. Yeah, I just, I just pictured want- an email like. Remy, never mind. Let's just as <laughs> as per my last email, um, please fart into the box. But uh, also speaking of like um farting. gender and gender, like I 
when I am with dudes, you know, and we're dating, they have no problem farting in front of me. And yet if I toot, even the little, like the tiniest toot, I am fucking mortified. Toot, toot. Right. I mean, but that's a, that's of a course. control mechanism. I mean, yeah, it's also like, funny, like gay men, I'm talking about like gay, gay cis men, yeah. like the obsession with, this is such a segue, but like the obsession with like butt cleanliness is like really mm-hmm. overboard. Like there's a whole culture there. So and in your like, culture, are y'all allowed to fart or is that like a big taboo? Yeah, it depends. It's complicated. If it's like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's not cute. Sometimes it's not cute. Gay male culture is essentially like even more toxified. Yeah, like even more toxified, inverted, impossible, perfectionist patriarchy. And it's like for gay guys, it's like even more. It's like, and then the self-hatred, because then it also, it's like patriarchy, but with this like awareness mm. of the impossibility of, of it. the male thing, of the like desire. the impossibility of it, but also like, that's like the only option. It's like, yeah, gay male is toxic. I mean, that's also why I love just to not even identify in that whole area. Well, that's really powerful because I think that speaks to what I was talking about earlier with that guy, um, the one time Michael I fell in Jackson. Love. <laughs> well, the the other gay guy I fell in love with, Michael oh, Jackson. Okay. Um, no, the other, yeah, the guy that I had that experience with, I think that was very. He was very much wrapped up in that, and I think I we haven't talked in years, but but my friend told me semi recently that she feels like that's still the case. Is that he's just like wishes he were straight is only interested in straight men wants to be perceived as straight there's a self-loathing that happens and i think like that yeah whole... I mean, well, that's like internalized homophobia which is intrinsic yeah, totally. to what dove's talking about right. which is woven and, throughout gay culture and, male gay culture if i could also just like maybe like make you feel better or make you feel not as alone. like anytime i've ever really been in love in my life it's been a completely impossible unrequited situation mm-hmm. so like I feel you, Remy. Thank and you. I mean, I've been in love. If I had a fucking dollar for every straight guy that I've been in love with, mm. I would be much richer. And I also, there's a few times where I knew the guy felt the same way back, but. Mm, but wouldn't go there. Couldn't. Yeah. Oh, God. Which is also like a whole other layer. Of longing. Of longing. Yeah. yeah. Oof. And then no, I like, have a. Dev, I have a question for you, actually. What? So my, you know how I was saying, like, different from Remy's fix for longing is reframing for me, like, meaning, like, let's look at longing as something that could potentially be, I don't know, beautiful, you know? Beautiful. Oh, right. I mean, it is beautiful. Yeah, right. Is that how you see it? Or how do you, how do yeah, you work Yeah, I mean, it? I think without... Right. I think it also ties into being a four, which was interesting because as Remy's, I think that that's the way of the four is like this poet, this. And I think that is what makes a poet. That is what makes a writer. That is what makes a a, a musician and a creator. I mean, I'm sure there's creators all over the Enneagram, but like the four is the one that I really identify with as I listened And I think that the essential part of being on the outside 
I mean, that's why every great poem, every great, it's all about longing, right? Longing for youth, for love, for all of these things, for, I mean, that's what makes art. I mean, art really is fueled by the fire of longing. And it is, I think it has something to do with being on the outside. And that's what makes the poet this like impossible, tortured figure who can see clearly like the like you know it's like the person on the outside of the restaurant looking in at the food on the people's plates and the people in the restaurant sort of take it for granted that they're like in a restaurant eating the food and then it's the person on the outside that can't afford maybe or for whatever reason can't be on the inside of the restaurant sees the food in like such a different clear more clear more poetic more transformative light because it's like what they can't have Mm. and it's like something does that make sense yeah totally yeah Yeah. you know one thing so I don't know if y'all have ever heard of this book called existential kink you heard about Mm. it No, I feel like I've heard of it and I've like said I've read it, but I haven't. And so please tell me. Okay. So I'm not all the way through it, but essentially the writer, uh, Carolyn Elliott, who, you know, she's pretty provocative and um, a little bit controversial, I think. But, but anyway, her premise is that everything that exists in our lives is a, um, is proof that on some level we want it. So even Mm. if like the thing that we have is like, poverty there's something about us that gets off on poverty right like maybe it's like damn uh, that i i don't know if that would fly in some circles but no it certainly wouldn't that's what i mean about her being controversial she said controversial yeah i mean yeah i i like a hot take so keep going well so yeah so it's just interesting because um she talks about being in an abusive relationship at one point and she talks about how like actually if she really got honest with herself. There was a part of herself that really liked um, being a victim and Mm. um, that that was sexy to her. And so she was like, but because it was not conscious, because I didn't know that I, that there was a part of me that actually got off on that. Right. I was manifesting it in unhealthy ways rather than manifesting it in hot, sexy ways. Mm. And so I think, you know, I, I vacillate with her. Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. But anyway, my point is like, if I think about that with longing, it's like, um, if you think about, I don't, I honestly have never engaged in BDSM in any way. So I can't really speak to this, but I, I know that there are aspects of it about like being, um, like not being something being withheld from you and Mm. like, and how that can be hot and sexy. And that's kind of like, is there something in longing for us that could be that way? Right. That it's like, I'm going to, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's, I think it can be used as a tool, right. Because it's like so connective, meaning so many people experience it. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. such a shared experience. Right. So maybe that's the sexy part for us or, um, or maybe even, you know, then for- us and we'll show you. <laughs> um, yeah. Become a supporter anchor.fm slash tomorrow and ding dong. Um, no, or like <laughs> as artists and as creators, like, do we actually subconsciously feel like we need to, ex- like, we can't let go of longing because then we wouldn't create, you know what I mean? Like, right. 
do we have a relationship to longing that can be really powerful and beautiful? And I feel like what you're speaking to Dev kind of, um, harkens back to that idea. Like, yeah, maybe there's something about longing that can keep us innovative and connected to other people in a way that feels meaningful through art, you know? Uh, Absolutely. And if I could also just like, if I can manage to divorce my creative output with like financial success, et cetera, which is sounds like we're all struggling to do, which is like, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like, I wouldn't have my art without my like, yeah, without all my shit, without all my longing. Mm. Like, what if I was born, right? So what if I was born a cisgendered white woman and I just could have never had to go through any, you know what I'm saying? Like all that longing that I had for something else, for another role, for another way of being. What if I never had that? Like, who would this person be today? And like, would, you'd be like basic. <laughs> I really truly would. And I really truly think I would have peaked in high, school, in high school and I think that I would have been had a yeah I think I would definitely be married to like some guy who was very hot on the football team and yeah I mean I can see my future if from then for sure like I would have been Ooh, I, I this is this is <laughs> juicy I'm like learning about both y'all I feel um... also like I would be working at like the Walgreens beauty counter and I would be like (laughs) I would be very pretty but I would definitely like I wouldn't have gone far like I mean where am I now like I haven't gone that far but like wet and wild (laughs) wet and wild fucking lipstick all day long all day Uh, yay Dove thank you so much for coming on my pleasure being our guest I have absolutely fucking adored this conversation and it's been fun it was a good one. Hey, Dove, give us one more shout out to where people can listen to your muse. Yes, please. I mean, follow my Instagram at dove.for.ever and then Dove Griffin on SoundCloud. Ooh, Love. Love for, the Dove. For us, you can find us anywhere on all your podcasts and you can support us at anchor.fm forward slash traumarama ding dong also want to shout out to sarah stabe my sarah stabe who is our newest supporter thank you sarah stabe we love you you, sarah we do love you you're the best i love you too sarah dove loves you jonathan loves you urba loves you if you get dove love that's real love that's real fucking true love and also email us god damn it fucking email us us. but why the fuck are you not emailing us email us right now someone email me right now Literally this second, we are they at, long. They long. Yeah, we long emails. for it. Traumaramadingdong at gmail.com. And also, what are you doing right now? Like, what are you doing right now? Go on to Person. Apple Podcasts and write a review for us and be like, they're nice. just be like, they're nice. Five, Five star me, my booty. <laughs> yeah. Five star my booty. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Trama. Yeah. Rama. Dang. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.